Everybody good? Come on. Happy New Year. You know, Merry Christmas. What you know? What else is there? Right. Everybody had a good Christmas. I hope. Anybody didn't? I'm sorry. <laughs> we can do do-overs, right? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Huh? A return policy. Yeah. Take it back. Well, I had a good Christmas. You know, I love Christmas myself. I don't have to do anything. Just show up. That's what Becky says. That's why you love it. You just don't do anything. You just show up. <laughs> yep. That's right. Some things you get to show up in, right? And we took some time off, you know, this week. We sort of just, you know, got to spend a lot of time. I got to spend a lot of time doing what I wanted to do, which was nothing. <laughs> Actually, just thinking and meditating and contemplating. I really love to do that. And I read a lot and actually read this one blog by this preacher who was talking about how it was bad, it was new agey to do contemplative prayer as I was doing contemplative prayer. I <laughs> thought, well, I guess I'm reading the wrong thing, huh? But uh, I got to do a lot of thinking this week, you know, because my daughter was with us, and so she had Becky distracted so I didn't have to entertain Becky, you know. <laughs> You know, Becky's not in here. You know how men are. I mean, women, they have to be entertained. you got to keep them happy and do things they want to do or they fuss a lot. So so I didn't really have to do any of that. I just got to do what I wanted to do. They went out and just stayed gone. And so it was a good good week. It really was. You know, just getting to do that. And, you know, now I'm Grace left yesterday, so I had to quit doing all that and take care of Becky. And, you know, she's already told me things I'm going to be doing today and tomorrow, so, yeah, yeah, and that's right, it's not good for man to be alone most of the time, right, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sort of an introvert, so I like to be alone, actually, but, but uh, you know, it's, it's always great when you, when you can uh, be with Jesus, right? I mean, that was the main thing that made it so nice because I don't really like just being with me, but I really love being with the Lord and just spending time with Him. And that's what my hope is for everybody in this church is y'all would become insanely in love with the Lord. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think everybody in here is, actually. I'm going to be honest with you. And here's why you're not, because you're trying to love Him. And that's a joke from religion. You don't try to love God. You let God love you. And when you let God love you, something happens in your life. You fall in love with Him. It's no longer something you're trying to do. It's a passion that arises in your heart. And I think that's one of the big uh, revelations in the past several years that God has really made real in my life is letting Him love me. And that's just an easy thing to do. And just believe in what He says about me and not believe in what I say about me. And... Eventually, though, you'll get to the point where you'll begin to agree with what God says about yourself, and you'll start saying that to yourself. And that's a great day when you start saying to yourself what God says to you. Your life can really begin to really change. Now, the devil's always going to be talking and telling you stuff and that's full of half-truths. You know, it's partially true, uh, but don't just, just discard it and believe that God really loves you and really cares about you and has a real powerful plan for your life. Amen? God has a future for everybody in this room, a hope for everybody. You know, we wore that scripture out, but I love that scripture. I'm going to keep wearing it out. 
One of the things I think God really wants us to do is to be who we are. Be uh, One of the things I discovered in doing a lot of reading, uh, I try to read stuff from other streams of the church, and I find some brilliant thinkers out there. Okay, I mean really brilliant people. I'm thinking, I can never be that brilliant. Okay, uh, some of them, uh, there's, a, there's a stream of Christianity that is definitely intellectually uh, driven. And when I say that, I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm saying in, there's a positive to it because that it's, they, they do have the Holy Spirit. But I, can't, I could never be that because I am heart-driven. Okay, that's really how I really am. And I'm satisfied with being heart-driven. I wish I was brilliant, okay, like these people are, but I'm not. And so I don't really waste any time trying to be like them. I want to be who God created me to be. I want to stay, stay true to the things that God has shown me and live from that. And if I can glean things from brilliant, intellectual, spirit-filled Christians, I will glean things from them. But I'm not going to try to be them. I'm going to be happy being me because that's who God is happy with me being. And so I've de- 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 determined that. And so that makes it easy for me to glean things from other people. Okay? It makes it real easy for me because I'm not trying to, I don't need to be them. I don't, they don't, I don't have a need to be something I'm not. I have a need to be who I am. Okay? And everybody in this room has that great need in your life. And you will never be happy until you learn how to find out who you really are in Christ, who Christ says you are, who he says you are. And that's when you're going to be fulfilled in your life. And there's, I'm going to just tell you something. There's a lot of baloney in the church. Okay, and God's, you know, you know what, baloney, I mean, baloney's no good. I will tell you this great story. I don't know why I've gotten off on this, but here's a great story. There was this young woman who had a relationship with a guy. Okay, and she was a very serious Christian young girl. She was about 16 or 17 years old. So any relationship she had with anybody of the opposite sex, she wanted to make sure that, that God was in it. Meaning, is this the person that God has for me? And so she went to this old woman who was a prophetess and said, Would you, I've got this relationship with this boy, and I want you to pray about it and see if the Lord shows you anything. This old wise woman looked at her and said to her, Honey, why, why would you have baloney when you can have beef? Okay, that was the word the woman gave her. So this young girl decided this guy was not the guy. He was baloney, right? And so she got out of the relationship. Not long afterwards that, she met the man that she married, okay? And literally 30 years into their marriage, they went to a, a wedding together. Somebody was getting married in their hometown, and the boy that she had that relationship was there at that wedding. And this boy, and they met, and she talked, and what are you doing? I'm a pig farmer. That's what he was. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Baloney is pork, right? Did you get that? So you see how God speaks in a life, in a person's life. Y'all got that, right? You know, you got to catch these things. The Holy Spirit's got a very good sense of hearing. It wasn't that he was a bad person, but for her, he was baloney, right? When she could get a good piece of good beef, that person happened to be Becky 
Davis. Wicker. True, right, Becky? Yeah. Oh, well, actually, the lady gave her the word without her asking. She wasn't quite as hungry for God as I thought she was. (laughs) They had to tell her. You know, they had to tell her. But see, God has a plan for everybody's life. He has beef for everybody. I can't believe it. Okay, I thought, I'm beef. Hey, come on, you know. Well, it turns out I really am, okay? You know, because God says I am, right? Remember, I was telling you that. I was setting you up. You've got to believe what God says about you, even if he says it through somebody you've never even met. But you're beef. This other guy was baloney. You're the man. <laughs> so thank you, Lord. But, mm. but I think God really has... a wants to do, you know, there's a, just a renewal that God wants to bring into this church, I believe, a, a renewal. I really believe that, and um, he has, you know, he has purpose, he has vision, he has dreams that he wants to bring forth, and, you know, I think most people would say goodbye and good riddance to 212, right? Like, that, we're not doing a do-over on that one. Uh-uh, no do-overs, please. No. Right, most people would probably feel that. I think the majority of people in this country would feel that way. You know, <clears throat> you know, we did survive the end of the world, right? We got through the end of the world. I think we may survive the, the physical cliff, you know, at least for a little while. Sooner or later, the physical cliff, the physical, well, the f- fiscal, okay, but it's physical for me because... It, Anyways, did you know there was a dairy cliff? There was literally a dairy cliff where milk could go up to $8 a gallon. That was true. I didn't, I mean, they were, it's a big deal. I think they're, we're going to make it through that, and milk's not going to go up to $8 a gallon, which makes cream for people who drink coffee go up, which makes Starbucks go up, which everything is going to fall apart if milk goes up. <laughs> but we've survived all that, and we're here, and God is with us, and I think... We've got to begin to see a different future for ourselves than what we, you know, the situation, the circumstances, the hard things that we've gone through. We're more than conquerors in Christ. Amen? Well, we're going to get away from all that. Thank you, Lord. I mean, listen, this is what I want for this church. I want people in this church who really have this passion for the Lord and just love the Lord. And I think, as I said, is, is let God love you. Believe he loves you. Believe it. Believe what he says about you. And ask him to speak to you. And he'll speak to you. If you ask God to speak to you, he will literally speak to you. If you ask him to show you, th- show you things in your life that are difficulties or hindrances for you, he'll reveal them to you. However he speaks to you. He really will. I, I can ask the Lord, Lord, show me anything. Show me anything that's hindering me in my life, and I'll have a dream that night, and it'll be something that God's showing me. That's, I love that. And, or, you know, God speaks to diff- everybody differently, but that's one of the main ways he speaks to me is through dreams and visions. And I can literally ask him things, and he will show me. And at that point, it's up to me to respond to him and allow him to, to deal with those things in my life. He shows you. Okay, I acknowledge that. I receive that, Lord. Yes, that's true. And then give me wisdom on how to deal with this or how to repent of it or whatever it may be. Amen. All right. Now, let's turn to John 4, 19 through 24. And so, um, just as a reminder, 
we have been talking about the dwelling places of God in the Bible, and there's seven of them, okay? And the reason we're talking about this, this is really important, is because God is building a habitation, okay, on the earth. And it's us. Ultimately, it's us. We're the habitation of God. And God wants to reveal what that really means and how that can impact our lives, how, how that can be meaningful to you and I in our everyday lives. Amen? And this habitation of God that I'm going to talk to you about is, of course, I've talked about most of them. There's two more to go. This one's Jesus, which is a tremendous revelation. This is great what I'm going to share with you. I believe. It's very meaningful to me. Okay. But this is the occurrence in the Bible when Jesus met this woman at the well. It's in John 4. Everybody knows about it. She wasn't. She was a Samaritan woman. And, you know, in the Bible, Samaritans in the New Testament were not good people. They were a bad group of people, according to a Jews. They were very hated by the Jewish people. The, the Samaritan people, let me just tell you where they came from. They came all, you go all the way back in history when Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, became king. He was an idiot, pure and simple. And he caused Israel to be split. And there were ten tribes that left. They were the northern tribes that left and broke off and went under another guy named Jeroboam. Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And they created another religion, basically. Okay, that's a little bit different from Judaism, but it had a, it had a mix. It had a, and eventually that northern twelve tribes were were defeated by the armies of Assyria, which is Assyria, Assyria is what we used to call them in grade school. They were very, very fierce people, and they brought those people into to their to their lands, and they adopted a lot of their the spiritual practices of the Syrians. So they mixed this Judaism with all these other pagan religions. And so you fast forward into the New Testament, that's what they were. They were a mixed race of people, and they had strange practices, and the Jews looked down their nose at them. And this woman had this encounter with Jesus at this well, you know, the woman at the well. And they had this long discussion, so I just told you, and... Uh, Jesus talked to her about her husband. Remember, he gave her this word about the, her husband and that the one, you know, you've had seven husbands and the guy you got now, you're just living with the dude. Okay, he revealed all this, you know, this, by the Holy Spirit to her. And this is where I want to pick up at. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now listen, this is, this is really key here. I've, I've always wondered about this. Like, what, what is the deal here? Immediately, she wants to start this, engage him with a discussion about worship. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, okay? It wasn't just a discussion about worship. It was about discussion about worship in a place, okay? In a specific place. Because up to that point in time, places were the keys, okay? Every religion on earth that has ever existed has a place, okay? The Jews had Jerusalem. That was their place. It was the place where God met them. It was the place where God dwelt up to this time. You know, um, the, the, the Samaritans had, a, I think it was Mount Jer- Jer- what's it? what was the name of that place? Mount Jer- Jerusalem or something like that. That's where they, they had their special place. Today, Muslims have a place called Mecca. It's a place where their God is. Buddhas, Buddhas have a place. Hindus have a place. 
And Christians have a place in their mind, they think. A lot of Christians, they think they go to a building on Sunday morning. They think that's the place. Right? So this is pretty radical what Jesus was doing here. Okay? Um, Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place that one ought to worship. Well, Jesus said to her, Woman, listen, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Okay, so what he was doing, that was a profound statement Jesus was making right there in the Bible. He was changing the order of everything. It was radical. Suddenly, the radi- this is a radical statement. This is not just some simple little statement, some doctrinal argument. Okay, this is a profound statement that Jesus was making. Basically, he was saying everything that has ever existed with God and the, and the Jewish people is, and everybody else really in the world, I'm fixing to change it all. I'm fixing everything's going to change from this moment on. We're making a big shift here. We're changing the name of the church, basically. We're changing where the church meets. We're changing how the church meets. We're changing our music. I'm just trying to get you to thinking. Yeah, it is amazing. You worship what you do not know. And he'd been again and went, sort of went after her about you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. So he was really saying, listen, we do know who we're worshiping. You guys got some issues over here. But, okay, the hour is coming and now is. Now is. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Okay? So, you know, for 900 messages people have given on what spirit and truth means, which is pretty good, you know, that's important to understand that. And it's important to understand the other thing, because we've talked about this. The Father is seeking those kind of people. He's looking for worshipers. That's what he's hungry for. It's people to worship him, not because he needs worship, but because it, he wants to share himself with those people. And that's how he shares himself is in worship. Uh, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So what he was doing was making a shift from the temple that existed in his day. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, one of the last things that Jesus said about that temple was basically like, you can have your temple. It started out when he began to talk about that temple. If if you go back and remember the temple, the rebuilt temple, he called it my father's house. That's the first thing he called it. Zeal for my father's house has consumed me. He, He was talking about that place. But that place rejected him. And he rejected that place. And he said, I wanted to gather you I wanted to gather you under my wings, but you refused. So have your place. Have your religion. Have your place. I'm doing something else. But the truth is, this is amazing. He told this Samaritan woman, who wasn't even a Jew, he was telling her his intentions before he told any Jew his intentions. Well, that's very weird, doesn't it? Are y'all getting anything profound that he even told a woman this? Much less a woman that was a rejected woman. He began to reveal the Father's heart and the Father's intention to this person. That's pretty good, isn't it? If you're a woman today, you should stand up right now and just shout that God is for me. I am not a second-class citizen in His kingdom. You should really feel that way. And I don't care what you husbands say to me. I'll get God after you if you mess with me. 
Don't tell Becky all this, please. <laughs> Anyways, so that's the beginning right here of a new order in the Spirit. The order being that, and here's where Christians, here's, you know, we have to wrestle with this. Uh, we hear about places on the earth where God's moving, right? Just remember, He's just moving there. That doesn't mean that place is special. He's just moving there. And most places where God moves on the earth, He eventually moves on. So far. Right? So far. He kind of, you know, moves on to something else. So, we don't need to look for a place. We need to look for this person. But let's don't get religious about this, okay? If God's moving somewhere, humble yourself and go there and let him touch you. Don't be such a jerk and saying, God can meet me where I'm at. That's ridiculous. Have you ever said that? Yeah, it's kind of prideful, really. Of course, God can meet us where we're at. But he might say, well, why don't you just humble yourself and go over there and let them people pray for you and bless you? You know, and maybe something good could happen out of that for you. Um. Hey, I heard this story about this great preacher that went to Toronto back in the 90s, and uh, and he was there, and um, this was a great preacher. I'm not going to tell you his name. And he had a very large ministry, and Carol Arnott wanted to pray for him. He said, Lady, you do not know who I am. And he began to tell her everything about his credentials and how big a church he had and how great a ministry he had, and she said, Okay. And the Lord spoke to him, and the Lord, this is what the Lord said to him. You can go home the way you came here, wounded and hurt, or you can get healed. And he said, well, I'm not wounded and hurt, Lord. That's what he told God. That was his response. And he left, went home, went to the motel, and was thinking about that, and was thinking, but what if, what if I am wounded and hurt? And that thought got into his mind. Went back, and she prayed for him, and he had this fall-apart time where he wept for hours. And all this hurt that he wasn't really conscious of started coming up in him. You know? You know, that's what happens sometimes to people. And it changes life completely. I mean, totally. Isn't it great how the Lord is? I just thought that was a cool story. All righty. Let me just read Romans 9.33, and then I'm going to show you this something that's really good that I love. Romans 9.33 in the Amplified Bible says this, as, as, as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stone that will make men stumble. People have stumbled all over this stone. I was just talking to you about how people stumble. Okay? A rock that will make them fall. But he who believes in him who adheres to, trust in, and relies on him, shall not be put to shame, nor be disappointed in his expectations. So that stone is the Lord himself. Okay? Now, this is what I want to show you. Isn't it wonderful how we stumble all over the Lord? And he, in fact, he says later that it's great if you fall on me. Right? It's not so great if I fall on you. Right? That's what he said. I'll read that to you in a minute. But So it's... You know, lots of times we stumble over things, but just stumble on to him. That's what's so important. Now, I want to read about this. I want to go back and read the story about this stone, because this stone is, is vital. This is the vital revelation, okay, I think, for me it's been. 
I shared this about this stone when I first started preaching about the dwelling places of God, the original dwelling place of God. Okay, I'm going to read it to you again because it's so important that we see the stone and see where the stone originally came from. Uh, it's in Genesis 28. This was you know, the original house of God on the earth was at Bethel when Jacob had this encounter with the Lord. I just want to read this to you and just make a couple of comments. It says, Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones. Okay? He took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. That stone became the first dwelling place of God on the earth. That stone that he took was that stone that Paul was just talking about in Romans. Now, this is really important we get this, okay? Then he dreamed, I love this, and behold, a ladder. Now, I want you to get this about this ladder. This ladder is very critical for Christianity. And most people have rejected this revelation about this ladder. A ladder was set up on the earth, okay? Now, this is key. The ladder was set up on the earth. Jacob's ladder did not come down out of heaven like a drop-down-from-heaven ladder, like a a pull-down ladder in your, your attic. This ladder was set up here on the earth. That's what it says right there. Okay? And its top reached to heaven. Okay? The top of it reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending. I mean, they were going up and down, ascending and descending on this ladder. Okay? Now, this ladder is creed. Let's hang on just for a second and read John one fifty one. I know y'all know all this, but this is so, so vital that we get this revelation about this ladder. John 151, we'll go back and finish reading this other. I just want to read that, but I want to read this. And he said to him, he was speaking to Nathaniel and all these dudes, Jesus was, Most assuredly, I say to you here at, because he said, I saw you under a fig tree, Nathaniel. I saw you. That's pretty cool. But then he, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you here after you shall see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus is Jacob's ladder. Now, I want you to get this. Jesus was on the earth. He, ascend, he established an opening in heaven from the earth. And the heavens come up and down on him. That's what he was saying. You see this? So not only was he the, the stone, he was the ladder. Okay, and, and see, the revelation of this ladder is absolutely vital. And the truth is, and here's one of the reasons why it's so vital. Just like you and me are living stones, you and I are living ladders. Okay, you and I are ladders. Whether we know it or not, but we are an access to heaven. We're an access to heaven. And when we begin to believe we're an access to heaven, we're like the little ladder. Jesus is the big ladder. Maybe he's like the 40-foot ladder and we're like a 10-foot step ladder. But nevertheless, we're ladders. And see, we begin to begin to see ourselves as people who connect earth to heaven. We really need to begin to get that revelation about ourselves. That's, remember I said, I wasn't just saying all that for no reason i said we need to start believing what god says about us well this is what he told me one time byron you're a ladder he told me you're a ladder i'm a ladder 
I don't like ladders, Lord. I, mean, I don't know if y'all remember. I, I got a real issue with ladders. I hate ladders. I don't like getting on ladders. I cleaned my gutters recently, and I started halfway up. And they said, just get down. Get down. We'll get somebody. We'll get Philip to come clean the gutters. I'm like, no, I'm going to clean these gutters. I closed my eyes and went up that ladder. And I would get my hands and just keep my eyes closed and get the leaves out and just hope to God I didn't fall. You know? Because I... So when God told me I was a ladder, I wasn't real pleased at that moment until I began to see this revelation about us being a ladder. Now, you know, you got to start believing that about yourself. Okay, let me go on. And behold, the Lord stood above it, okay, stood above the ladder, and spoke and said, now, first of all, so that's really key for us. When you begin to see yourself as a ladder, you can begin to hear things from God better than everybody else can. You can begin to hear the voice of the Lord when you begin to believe what He says about you. And when you begin to believe that He wants to connect earth to heaven via you, then you start getting information from the Father. He starts telling you stuff about what's going on. I'm, and then He began to tell Jacob, I'm the God... The Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants, which he did. And your descendants shall be as dust of the earth, which they became like that. We've still got a few around, Dean and a couple of them other ones, Lapping, the Starks. The Star- David Stark is the nicest Jew I have ever met. I'm serious. He is, a, he is an anomaly. Because I was telling somebody, this is no kid. Somebody was talking to me about a certain Jewish person in this church. I'm not going to tell you which one it was, okay? But I said, but, I said, but you got to understand, that's the way Jews are. And they said, well, David Stark's not like that. <laughs> I said, you're right. David Stark's a really nice Jew. <laughs> he really is. I've never, he's an amazing guy because he's a nice Jew. Well, Jesus was a nice Jew, right? So, you know, there's a few out there. Anyways, thank you, Lord. I'm not in trouble. So they're going to spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and your seed, seed being singular, this is a very important verse, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let me just say this. That's what God is interested in. Do you hear what he said? All the families. If you have a family today, even the family is just you, but if you have any family, God's really concerned about your family. He wants to bless your family. So when a person gets saved in the family... If everybody else is not saved, he saved you to be that doorway, to be that ladder for the rest of the family, you know, to get the rest of them in, to get the rest of them to hear in his voice. And it's a very awesome thing to be around family and a bunch of them are knowing the Lord. It really is. It's awesome. That's the Father's heart. That's, it's a fulfillment of what he told Jacob here that day. And it's awesome when there's generations of people. And if there's not a generation of believers in your family, you're the first one. You're the one who's opened the gate for the rest of them, for the children, for the children's children, for everybody around you. It's just, either way, it's awesome. And so he says in verse 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I've spoken to you. And people, this morning I want you to get this. If God has spoken things to your life, he will do what he said. He will do, God will do what he said he will do. He may not do it the way we think he was going to do it or the way we want he's going to do it, but God will do what he said he will do. 
And that's what we had to believe. If God said it, that's, that's the bottom line. Anything else? Okay, it's negotiable how it turns out. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And that's part of our problem in our life is we are not aware of the presence of the Lord that we have already. Okay? But we do have the presence of the Lord. Everybody in this room, if you're saved, you have the presence of the Lord with you. God is with you. He's in your house. And you're not aware of it. And God wants to open our eyes and our hearts to become aware of Him being there. And that's why we say God's presence is the most important thing. Because, like Becky was saying, when we feel that presence, when we engage with that presence, it makes our life like new. It's like, oh, this, what was I missing? And so God wants us to have those kind of experiences all the time in his presence. And by, but like Jacob, most of us are not aware of the presence of God. But we can become aware of the presence of God if we become intentional about it. Are y'all fine? I didn't say, you, are you all right? I said, are you fine? <laughs> Woo, thank you, Lord. Anyways, and he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. And that really is what makes any home, any person, any church awesome is the presence of the Lord. It's nothing else. And that's why we say our goal, our dream for this church is the manifest presence of the Lord. Because Moses said, Lord, what's going to separate me from all the other peoples on the earth if your presence doesn't go? Right? Your presence. It's just, you know, we're just like everybody else without the presence. We're, we're, we're kind of messed up. And he, okay, this is none other than the house of God. This is the first mention of the house of God. I think I shared that last time. And this is the gate of heaven. The house of God and the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone. There's the stone. Everybody say the stone. That's Christ. See, this was a foreshadow. This was a, a you know, Old Testament picture of Jesus. Okay, that's what it's trying to tell us. This is what the Old Testament, this is the first appearance. This is Jesus appearing in the Old Testament as a stone that later he became that stone in the New Testament. He said it. I'll read that to you. But let me get this because I love this. And took the stone that he put in his hand, set, up, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And speaking of this anointing that was going to come on Christ, and it was interesting that Jacob, the least of the three patriarchs in terms of quality of character, nobility, anointing himself, God used this broken man to anoint this first pillow to anoint Christ. Folks, we have the ability to anoint Christ King in our hearts. We have this ability to impact how people see this person. I mean, we really do. It doesn't make sense to your little mind, I know, nor mine. But my heart leaps when I think about that. That we can become the fragrance of Christ ourselves. We can become the light of Christ. We can. And Jacob called the name of the place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of the city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, which he promised us he would do that, so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Isn't that cool? I know he saw my Abraham's house, but really it's the, the father's house. Then the Lord shall be my God, and the stone which I set up as a pillar shall be God's house. 
and all of you that you give me, I will surely give a tenth. The stone which you, which I have set up a pillar shall be, shall be, not maybe, can be, shall be God's house. And it became God's house when the Bible says that Jesus became the chief cornerstone. That's what it was saying right there. It was telling us about Christ. It was telling us about this glorious person. All right, now let's look at Matthew twenty-one forty-two. Everybody's cool. And my nose is running. So I just want to read this scripture. This is what Jesus said. Uh, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? The chief cornerstone. This is, was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Okay, so I had this dream a year or so ago. And in the dream, I was on a construction site, okay, building some kind of building. And the Lord was with me, or rather, I was with the Lord. And what we were doing, we were, you know, how construction people do I don't know if they do it anymore, but used to be they would take these, they have these stakes in the corner where the building, every corner of the building, right? For the four corners of the building, they'd have a stake driven in, and they'd have a string pulled around the perimeter on the stakes. That would be where the foundation would be laid. And, you know, they had to get it level and all that. And so that's what we were doing. Jesus was in a construction looking clothing, and he was setting a stone in one of the corners, and he was down on the ground like a construction guy, and he was looking from one corner to the other, trying to get the corner square, and he was setting this stone in place. And I was with him, and I was like I am normally. I had no clue about setting foundations. So I was looking at him. What he was doing, I would do it. It was the awesomest dream. Everything he did, I did. When he got down on his knees and looked, I got right beside him and was looking too like I knew. Like, yeah, he's looking, I'm looking. You know, he's standing up, I'm standing. I was like a little boy with their dad. It was such a powerful dream. And that's, that's all the dream was. And I woke up and I realized that's the scripture. He was setting himself into this foundation, into this building. And I read about cornerstones in the natural is in the natural and building, there's a stone. That every other stone, it, it, the whole building is, is referenced to this stone. This one stone. Everything has to be referenced to this one thing. And I realized in my life what he was telling me. Like, everything in your life has to reference back to me. Everything, every dream, every revelation, everything that's going on in your life, if it doesn't somehow connect back to me, then your life will get off. Your life will get off. And here, and he began to show me, these are places in your life where you're off. And this is why you're off, Byron, because you're not referencing it back to me. You're not connected back to the chief cornerstone. And all you have to do is reference your life back to that. And when we begin to do that, our life becomes gets into alignment. And see, that stone... That the builders rejected. You see, the truth is, I've been telling you there's seven houses of God in the Scripture. The truth is, there's only six. This is what I discovered. There's only six. 
Now, I know technically speaking you could say there's six because there's this one final building that God's building and he's the, the first cornerstone. You know when Jesus died and went to heaven, the stone went to heaven. That's why it says the new Jerusalem comes out of heaven. Y'all got that? That's pretty profound to me. Y'all ain't, y'all ain't got that yet. I can tell the look on your face. You're just looking at me like, huh? But I'm just telling you this. There's something profound in this. There's something profound when we get a revelation. Number one, of this, of this stone in our lives. Number two, there's something profound when we get this revelation that we're ladders. That we're a ladder. And that we are what connects this place here to that place up there. And we are the, we are the th- place that connects people to this voice that's up there in heaven, the voice of the Father, because He's in heaven. And we need, to, we need to ask God to help us with that. Um, so, anyways, y'all didn't love that as much as I did. I can tell you're just sitting there looking at me like, well, what does this mean for me? It means everything to you. This means everything. This means everything. I, I wouldn't be sitting here saying, this will change your life if you want to become the kind of believer that God has explained in the Bible to us that He wants us to be. People who have this passion for Him. People who love Him and will give their lives for Him. Who will be sold out to Him. Who love to worship Him. If you want that, then ask the Lord to give you a revelation that He's the chief cornerstone. And this was marvelous in our eyes. And we should stumble all over that stone. And we should be like Jacob. That we're going to anoint that stone. And we're going to become who God said we are. You will never become who God said you are. You will never fulfill your dreams apart from that stone. I can tell you that. You will never be able to understand your life apart from that stone. You will never be able to understand your life apart from understanding that you're a ladder. When you begin to see that, things begin to change. Because you know what? When you're on a ladder at the top, it looks different than it does when you're here on the ground. Yes, it might be scary getting up there at times. Anyway, thank you, Lord. So, what I wanted to do is end. Woo! I wanted to tell you, most people... That was good what Dean said about money, wasn't it? Asking the Lord about your money for next year. It's what is called being intentional. Because I've learned in my life, if I'm not intentional about something, it's not going to happen. In other words, if, if I'm going to be a runner, I have to plan on it. You know, I can't just say, well, I'll run this afternoon because my schedule may permit prohibit me from running this afternoon. So I had to get up early in the morning to run if I'm going to be a runner. I had to be intentional to do anything I do in my life. Okay? Nothing just happens. Things happen because you agree for them to happen. And you make a place for them to happen in your life. Okay? So I think what he was saying is about giving, is instead of having some randomness about the way you give, is be intentional about it. Ask the Lord to give me, Lord, I want to plan for giving for next year. And maybe you're going to say, well, here's what I want you to do. Let's just say you gave $5,000, and that was a great amount of money for what you made. And what if the Lord said, I want you to give $10,000? Well, 
next year. Wow, Lord, how can I give $10,000? Well, perhaps if you would agree with me up front to give the 10, that would loose me to loose the finances into your pocketbook. To, in other words, I can double the amount of money you're getting. You see how God works. But many times with God, he hands us a blank sheet of paper. Just sign off on this. Sign off on the 10, son. I'll fill in how you're going to get it. Get it. You know, I'll figure out, I'll, I'll, I'll work on how you're going to get the other five to be able to give it. Well, I, but I was going to tell you about my personal goals spiritually for next year. i got 10 minutes. Can you stand this? I have, like, goals. This is what I'm aiming for in 2013 for me. Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, this, this is what he said. He says, I don't, I'm not like a boxer who boxes in the air. Or I'm not like a runner who just randomly runs. In other words, I have an aim in what I'm doing. That's what I was saying about being intentional. You've got to get an aim. That's what he was trying to tell the people. Get an aim for your life. Get a direction for your life. Aim for something. Don't just, uh, you know, what are you going to do? I don't know. Then just whatever will happen to you. So get this aim on different areas of your life. I think we need aims, you know, like maybe an aim for you is like, I would like to have a new hobby this year. So I'm going to study hobbies. Somebody might do that. Dean may say, I'm going to be a good golfer this year. <laughs> so I'm going to do something different than hacking around. Right, Dean? <laughs> Poor Dean. This is Dean's day, man. Bless him, Lord. It, or, you know, if you're really skinny, personally, like my aim this year is to gain 25 pounds, you know, a muscle. So that means I'm going to work out. So you, could, these can, you can apply these in any area, but I wanted to share you uh, my four things that I want to do this year in my life. And I've got a plan. I'm not going to tell you my plan, but I've got, this is going to require me to do something if I'm going to fulfill these. One is I want my face-to-face relationship with the Lord to grow ex- exponentially this year. I want... I want this. This is what I want. I want to know the Lord more than I've ever known Him. And I want God to know me more than He's ever known me. That's what face-to-face is. It's not just the Bible. We talk about knowing the Lord, which is awesome. But Galatians 4 9, now that you've known God, or rather that you're known by God. This is what I learned about being known by God. It requires something of me. It requires me to open my heart up to him. Because you see, I know a lot about President Obama, right? But I don't know President Obama. I don't know his heart. He doesn't open his heart to me. Because we don't really know each other. I know about him. And you see, part of this thing is God has opened his heart to us. I've realized that in my life. God, you have opened your heart up to me incredibly. And there's areas of my life where I've realized... I haven't opened those places to God like he would like. And so there can be a little bit of a pain in your life to let God into places of your life that you don't necessarily want him in or really don't even want to go in there yourself. And so that's one of my goals is to let God into my life in a greater way because he's letting me into his life. That's a powerful goal, face-to-face relationship. Number two is to be clothed with his power this year to be clothed with the Holy Spirit. And I see that as being the Holy Spirit that set upon Jesus when he was baptized. You know, when Jesus was baptized in water, it says the heavens were open. We've really gone after that. I will continue going after that one. 
the heavens were opened, the Father spoke identity over Jesus. Going after that, the Father revealed himself to Jesus. But I feel like the one thing I really haven't pursued as diligent as the, those things has been when the Holy Spirit came and settled on Jesus. Okay? And a lot of Christians think the Holy Spirit, being a, he came like a dove. A dove is sweet and nice and all that and the natural. But in the Bible, actually, it says that's a, that dove represents warfare. Because Romans 16.20 says that God of peace will crush Satan. It's God doing what God does. When that dove sets, begins to settle on a person, God begins to demonstrate his power through that person. It's not like this little mansy-pansy, sweet little Christian that, that's, you know, a little mouse over here in the corner and is nice to everybody and people walk all over the top of him. No, it's, it's a Christian that walks in the power of God. And God really is interested in Christians walking in his power. He really is. He wants to immerse us in his power. We've got to be people of power. And his presence. But I tell you, I'm, that's one of my goals. Lord, I want to cultivate that Holy Spirit dove. Isn't that great? Number three is being a co-laborer with Christ. Co-laborer with Christ. And Jesus, when he did the... Um, what's that thing he did? That great sermon on the mount. <laughs> it's interesting. He did the sermon on the mount. Went through all the Beatitudes. If you know what the first thing he said? He looked at his disciples and says, You are the salt and you are the light of the world. And then he went, began to explain to them what that meant. One of them, you know, salt's the hidden thing, right? Once you put your salt on the food, you don't see it no more. It's who you are. It's your character. It's your nature. Okay? And the light is the thing that people see. And so there's these two aspects of co-laboring with Christ. There's the hidden thing that you have a hidden life in God, that you are who you are. God has done something in you. You don't have to do anything. You just be that. Another thing is to be the light. And he didn't say you had to try to be the light. He says, you are. Let it shine. That's all you Let it shine. That's all you got to do. You got to start believing. I, just like the ladder, I'm not only a ladder. I am light. I am the light of the world. I am. You are. And we have to start believing this. Because why are we? Because Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Now, you see, when we start believing something different, we can become something different. Are y'all believing this? So one of my goals is, is to be that light. Just to be it. And to be that salt, let that let my be the salt of who I really am. Let it just be, and let it come forth, not hide it. Don't create things to hide. And the fourth one is to have fun doing one, two, and three, <laughs> instead of being a drab, grammy old Christian, you know, drawing an old Christian. But have fun doing all that because God wants us to enjoy. Being everything he's called us to be. It, wouldn't it be awesome if everybody in this room walked in here and believed, hey, I'm a ladder. I know I'm a ladder. I am absolutely a ladder. Hey, I'm light. I am the light of God. Everywhere I go, things are lit up. If we really believed that, if we really walked in that, wouldn't that be a change of things? There was a man named Gypsy. What was Gypsy's last name? What was his last name? I can't remember his last night. He was a famous man 
who met with presidents. What was his name? He was nobody. He was a nobody, but he had this powerful thing. And somebody asked him, hey, how do you get this? He said, this is what you do. What was that guy's last name? I can't remember him. Anyways, he says, you go home, go to your room, get a piece of chalk, draw two lines. One line here, one line there, and draw a circle. Okay? And step into that circle and say to God, I want the person standing in this circle. I want you to touch that person. I want you to change that. I want you to do something in that person that's radical. I want you to come forth, the life of Christ, to come forth in that person. He said, you go stand your heart in there, and when you do that, you'll become that person. You'll become that person. You know, in other words, instead of depending on everybody else, and, you know, somebody, Jacob, bring the fire this morning. No, 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 no. Uh -uh. I'm going to bring the fire. I'm going to bring the light. I'm going to bring the revelation. I mean, that's really what the Christian life really is. It really is. It's not for a few people to be just on fire for God and be all happy about God and the rest of them sit there and watch them. That's crazy. And that's what church really seems to be. There's a few people that come in here on Sunday morning really like, whoa, oh, aren't you feeling the Lord here? Huh? God is in this place. I didn't even know it. He's in this place. People need a better walk in your house. Hmm. You know, the Lord's in here. <laughs> the Lord's in this house. He really is in this house. Are y'all all right? I really I hope you're hearing this from a good perspective. You know, that I just think the Lord wants to love you into this. I think he wants you to know that you, your sons and your daughters, you, he's made his life, he has made his world totally accessible to you. Everything. It's all yours, is what he would say to you. It's like he said to the older brother in, in Luke 15. You never did this for me. And he said, everything I've got is yours. In other words, everything I've always had, is you've always had access to it. And see, aren't we like that older brother most of the time? is we're saying to God, well, why are you blessing them and not me? And he's saying to us, well, everything I got yours. I'm just trying to help that poor brother of yours to light him up, to encourage him. But everything I've got yours. You want it? Have it. Do it. Be it. All righty. Why don't you all stand up? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Amen. This is the last, last time we're going to be here in 2012, okay? So we can stay the same, all righty? We can stay the same. How many people want to walk out of here different? I'm serious. How many really do like, Lord, you know what? That's what I want to be. I want to be a ladder. I'm going to walk out of here as a ladder. I'm just not going to stay the same. Lord, I'm going to take a chance in my life to start believing something different about me. I'm going to believe that you love me. That's how I'm going to walk out of here different. I'm just going to choose to believe everything you said about me is the truth. And I'm going to go find out everything the Bible says about me. And I'm going to claim it. If it says, you're the light of the world, I'm claiming today. I'm the light of the world. And I'm going to start being the light of the world. If it says, I'm the salt of the earth, 
I'm going to claim that I'm going to solve the earth and I'm going to start being that. If it says that I'm a living stone, Lord, I'm going to claim that. And I'm going to start being that. Just pray something like this. Lord, I just renounce not believing you. I choose to believe what you say about me. I choose to believe what you say about yourself. I choose to believe your kind intentions towards me. I choose to believe that you love me. I choose to believe that everything that you have, you've given it to me, Lord. I choose to believe that. I choose to believe that I am worthy to receive it. Because you've made me worthy. Lord, I'm saying to you today, I'm worthy. Lord, I'm saying to you today, I'm favored. And I'm going to take your favor. I'm going to take these gifts. I'm going to take these talents that you've given me. And I'm going to dig them up out of the ground. And I'm going to begin to use them. I'm going to begin to believe in them. And when I falter and fall, I'm going to fall on you. And you're going to pick me up. And I'm going to keep going. Lord, I don't want to do a, um, what do you call those things everybody does at New Year's? I'm not doing a resolution today, Lord. I'm doing this. Yeah, I'm declaring what you've already declared. And I'm just going to aim my life in that direction. Thank you, Father. I just want to redeem Dean this morning. <laughs> Dean, I just really want, before we release, because it's the last Sunday, I was just thinking of Byron going back through and the story of Jacob and, you know, this is the house of God. And just thinking about, you know, we're living this history, the truth. It's just amazing to me. And I just felt like I wanted Dean to release the blessing of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob to us as a congregation you know we just don't really know how blessed we are to have Jewish believers in our midst because they're living testimonies of what we're believing and walking in and so um, Dean if you would just come and release that because that's who we are we're sons and daughters Abraham Isaac and Jacob and when he's done if the ministry team could just come on up and pray for people of for healing and whatever you need this morning so amen well Lord we just we thank you that what makes Abraham Isaac and Jacob so great is you that Lord you said you call the least of the people you called us arrogant and and stiff-necked and stubborn and all these terrible things about us but then you said you are our God you are what makes a people, a great people because of you. And then, Lord, you chose, you chose a man named Abraham who was at the time a worshiper of idols. And you called him and set him apart. And you said that the whole world, all the nations of the world, would be blessed through him. And then you made all these other promises that have all come to pass, Lord. Scattered us to the four corners of the earth and brought us back to the same piece of land, showing that you are a covenant-keeping God and that your promises are yes and amen. So, Lord, I just, as a descendant of Abraham, Lord, only because of you, 
Father God, I pronounce a blessing on the men, women, and children at River Life, Lord, that the blessings of Abraham, the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are yes and amen, and for 2013, in Jesus' name, all fulfilled in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus our Messiah. Lord, let the blessings of love, the blessings of prosperity, the blessings of fruitfulness, and most of all, the blessing of salvation, Lord God, come to River Life, all of us here at River Life, in 2013, in Jesus' name, amen. ministry team can come on up and we want to pray for people if you want to have hands laid on you to be healed it's part of our uh, salvation covenant and um, inside healing needs of your family we want to pray for you we love you and be blessed